So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for giving us your words. We thank you that you give us the sustenance that we need to, to make it on a daily basis. We thank you, God, for the way that you provide for each one of us, and that the reality of it is, God, we, uh, we ultimately trusting in you, we, we don't need. We just need you. And so, God, as we uh, look at the scripture this morning, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, give us the ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us, and help us to do so in such a way that we're, we're finding our home in you, and not just simply consuming you, not just simply looking at you as a, as a ticket to, to something, but let us look at you as the affectionate object of our love, Lord, that we just we get to pour out love on you right now. We give you these things in Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everybody. You guys doing good? Beautiful day out, right? It's fantastic. And um, this morning we're talking about uh, something that's, that's, that's pretty complicated, complex, and it's actually a controversial statement that Jesus says when he says, I am the bread of life. He's not, when he says, you, eat, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, for some of us we're thinking, okay, now all of a sudden are we walking dead Christians? Are we, are we literally going to become zombies and, and, and be cannibals? And the answer is really no, but there's a way we have to get there. Uh, because Jesus would teach to us in such a way uh, that he would use very um, intense uh, descriptors and, and parables and ways of teaching. And so what he's doing is he's really grabbing the attention of the people who he's teaching. And we're going to explain that here in a minute. But before we do that, I have to ask you a question. Have you ever really been hungry? And now, don't go weak on me here and go, oh, yeah, I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. I'm starving. No. Have you ever really been hungry where you've gone days without food? One of the blessings of being an American is, is most of us are going to answer that question, no. Um, because it's not the way we're set up. We, we have three square meals a day. And we're used to eating that way. Maybe some of you have gone on trips and have experienced that in other cultures. But the reality of it is, is we don't honestly know what it means to really be hungry. Well, as I've shared with you before, I do a lot of idiotic things. Um, I go on these survival trips. I do all these extreme sports. And, and one of these trips that I went on back in 1999 was we went on a survival trip to the Everglades, where what we decided we were going to do was we weren't going to eat anything other than what we could catch and forage for ourselves. Real man's man thing, right? bunch of college kids, and it was fantastic. And so we were kayaking and we were canoeing. We took, we took an extra, like, um, an emergency supply of rations with us, just in case, because we wanted to be prepared. So what ends up happening is, is two days have gone by. We haven't caught any fish. We were foraging in the sand for sand fleas. That's how desperate we were getting, and I don't recommend those. They're terrible. Eat bark first. Anyway, but we were foraging and we were hungry. Well, we were fishing in a canoe, and we came across a, a school of sea trout in the brackish water. It's like a mixture of salt water and fresh water. And, and so we, we were catching these sea trout, and being the western Pennsylvanian fishermen that we were, we were catching these sea trout, and we were hooking them onto our metal stringer, and we would throw them over the side of the canoe that, and attach the stringer to the canoe so that the fish would stay fresh, so that they would stay alive. But see, there's something amazingly interesting about the Everglades. There's things in the water down there that aren't in the water here. And I remember I was with my friend T.J. Witterman, and we were fishing, and we were catching the sea trout. Sea trout are big fish. We were, we were hungry. We were very hungry. 
Um, we had enough water, but we, we were really looking forward to actually eating something. And I remember what happened next was, I said, hey, TJ, look, there's a shark. He goes, oh, that's pretty cool. And it had this little black tip on the top of it. We found out later from a park ranger it was a black tip reef shark. And then all of a sudden, a couple more sharks showed up. And so what happens is, is apparently if you put blood in the water, most of you probably knew this, sharks are attracted to that. It's an amazing thing. And so being that we took our fish that we were hooking in the gills, some of them, they were bleeding into the water, and we now have assembled quite a collection of these black tip reef sharks all around us. The problem is, is we're in a little canoe. Some of these sharks are as big as the canoe, and what happens when a shark bites a fish that's attached to a metal stringer, you have now caught the shark. And if you've ever been in a canoe that's being pulled by three or four sharks, you know it's a terrifying thing. And, but when you're hungry, you do stupid things. So instead of trying to self-preserve, TJ and I grabbed oars, and we began to smack at the sharks. Now, when you have two human beings in a canoe smacking at sharks who are pulling your boat in a certain direction, in a canoe, you will topple the canoe. I promise you it will happen every time. So now TJ and I are standing in about three feet of water with black tip reef sharks all around us. They're having dinner with our sea trout. So instead of acting like rational human beings and jumping back into the canoe, we stand there with oars in our hands having a lightsaber battle with black tip reef sharks. This is not a fight I can win. I'm in their house. I can only imagine what people looking at us were seeing. You've got these really knuckleheadish guys standing in the water with paddles fighting sharks. Sounds like a bad sci-fi movie waiting to happen. Sharknado 2, Pastor's Revenge. <laughs> but the reality of it is I tell you all that to simply tell you this. When we are hungry, we do very stupid things, don't we? And, and maybe you've never been physically hungry but I promise you, every single one of us in this room, at some point in our life, we have been spiritually hungry. And when we are hungry, no matter what the hunger, and, and we're starving, we do stupid things. And as Christians, if you are not being fed the ultimate sustenance of life, which is Jesus, you're going to do stupid things. We do stupid things because of our human nature, period, right? Right? Well, I was out on my deck working on this sermon, and I was trying to think of an illustration as a way to explain this. And a couple months ago, my mother gave me a bird feeder, and she gave us like 4,000 years worth of bird seed to go with it. And so we put this bird feeder up on our back porch, and, and my children and I noticed that there were several different types of birds and critters that would show up at the bird feeder. The first one that we would see is the blackbirds. Now, when you first look at the blackbirds, they're just this ugly little noisy blackbird that's out there. But when you actually watch them, they have beautiful colors in them. They're little oil stains in their, in their feathers, and, and they're actually quite beautiful. But the blackbirds are interesting because they are simply just there for the food. They fly in. They scare everybody away. They flex their feathers, and they're annoying. They come in, and they consume. They, they want it now. And I know that when our bird feeder is empty, the blackbirds will fly in. They'll chatter. They'll make all kinds of noise until we come out and feed them. They want to be fed. The next bird that there is is there's this beautiful little songbird. I, I wish I knew birds, but... They're songbirds. They sing. And so what happens is, is they sit off on the branch and they sing this beautiful song. 
It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and they, like, you know, they're out there, and I'm sitting there having my coffee, and I'm listening to this beautiful song. And then they flutter into the bird feeder, and they eat their fill, and then they go on their way. Well, when the bird feeder's empty for them, it's like they call in all their little songbird buddies, and there's this orchestra going on outside of my house letting me know, hey, pal, the, the, the food's gone. You need to feed me. And so they're singing, and they sing, and they sing, and they work for this food, and they work really hard at getting my attention so that I will feed them, and so we feed them. The third is the ninja of nature, the squirrel. I thought if you put a bird feeder out, you're going to get to see birds, but no, this squirrel in my backyard is like a little ninja. He jumps from the treetops to treetops, and he lands on my deck with a samurai sword, and he starts barking at me saying, feed me. He jumps up in the bird feeder, and some of you have seen this, and he scatters seed everywhere, just making a complete mess. And he fills his mouth with food, and 90% of the food's on the ground. And then I'm sitting there, and it starts barking at me. You ever heard a squirrel bark? It's the weirdest sound in the world. And the squirrel looks at me like, hey, where's the food? Feed me. You owe me. And inside I'm thinking, I don't owe you nothing, squirrel. I'm going to get my gun. What I'm going to get if anybody has a solution for squirrels in a bird's nest, let me know. Anyway, so the squirrel thinks you owe him something. The squirrel is, is basically looking at you with all the stuffing in his mouth. And as he's uttering the phrase, what have you done for me lately? His seed goes flying out of his mouth. So that was another little critter we experienced. And the fourth one that we experienced was the robin. Now the robin is like the most boring bird in nature. I love him. It, it would literally fly into the bird nest, it would eat its food, it wouldn't make a mess, and several of them would land at the same time, and they would just do their thing. Well, finally, somebody kind of got common sense, because we have this robin that, instead of flying around all the time to the bird nest, he actually built his nest in the bird feeder. <laughs> now we're talking. I mean, you've got all these other birds fighting over the food and squabbling and trying to work for it and trying to earn it and some of these squirrels saying, you owe me. But then you've got this beautiful robin who simply makes his home in the place where life is from, the bird feeder. And so this beautiful robin, and you can see pictures on Facebook because the robin would later lay eggs and new life was born and, and those little chickadees have flying off already and and it's just a really cool story of life and how when, when something finds the source of life and it builds its home in the source of life, it will reproduce more life. And it's a beautiful thing to see. You're starting to see where I'm going, aren't you? Because this morning in our story found in John 6, Jesus is dealing with a group of people, a group of birds, blackbirds, squirrels, who are missing the point. There's this group of people that had gathered around. It's nearing the Sabbath. And they've gathered around Jesus to hear him teach. Now, I want to remind you, in Roman Empire at this time, there's a terrible famine going on. People are starving. They're hungry. They know what it means to be hungry like you and I do not know. The Roman Empire actually started the first welfare program back in this time because they didn't want the Roman citizens starving to death, so they would feed the Roman citizens in this welfare program, taking care of people who just could not make ends meet. And so here we have Jesus teaching by the Sea of Galilee. There's about 5,000 Jewish families. Two times Jesus does a miracle like this. The first time he feeds 5,000 Jewish folks, and the other time he feeds 4,000 Gentiles. It's good to be included, isn't it? And so Jesus is teaching, and he says to his disciples, hey, how are we going to feed these people? 
and, uh, or the disciples asked Jesus, how are we going to feed these people? Lord, it's going to take like eight months' wages just to feed them. Jesus says, I got it. Go get that kid's lunch. We'll fix it. And you know the story. Jesus takes a kid's lunch of five little cakes of bread and two fish. They must have been really big fish. And Jesus fed over 5,000 people. Now think about that. You're in a culture that knows hunger. And the Bible says to us in John 6 that those people ate till they were filled. And if you're in a culture that lives in hunger every day and you ate till you were full, that's going to mean something to you. If you watch Jesus take somebody's like little lunch box and continually pull food out of there until you were fed, we might call that a what? Miracle. It is a miracle. Do you know why these people were gathered around Jesus listening to him teach? Because some of them saw him give a blind man's sight. They saw Jesus do miracles. They have seen Jesus do his thing. So they were attracted to him. And now, not only is he the miracle-bringing Jesus, he's the life-sustaining Jesus because he's feeding us. Well, you have these crazy birds within that church community who all of a sudden started to think, you know what, this Jesus, we can make him our king. We can make him our political king. And so they started to think about ways that they could use Jesus to manipulate the Roman Empire and take over. Jesus caught wind of this. So Jesus wanders off into the wilderness and, and basically just goes and prays. The disciples finish up with the people on the Sea of Galilee. And then the disciples get in their boat and they push off uh, towards Capernaum. The people were kind of just left hanging there wondering where did Jesus go because they clearly saw that he didn't get in the boat. And they know that he didn't go with the disciples. So they just kind of hang out. A bunch of water taxis pull up and ask some of them where they want to go. And so some of them set off over to, to Capernaum. Well, that night while the disciples are out, we all know this story. Jesus came down from his hiding place in the wilderness and walked out on the water and walked out to the disciples. And, and I'm not going to live there today, but man, there's some good stuff in there. Some good sermons in there. And so Jesus uh, gets in the boat with the disciples. And to make a very long story short, the next day they end up in Capernaum. When they get there, the people who were on the other side of the lake that have now showed up there say, Jesus, what are you doing here? And he says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm here with my disciples. I'm here with my people. Now, they knew that he didn't get in the boat. They knew that he didn't get in one of the water taxis. So something miraculous had to happen for him to be on one side of the sea and then on the other. Are you getting the point that they're seeing Jesus do miraculous things? He has fed them. He has given people sight. And so as we turn our Bibles to John 6, chapter 20, or verse 25, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. We pick our story up here where it says this. When we say they in this story, we're referring to the people that Jesus fed. We're referring to the people that followed Jesus to Capernaum. So when we see they, that's who we're talking about. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where did you get, when did you get here? Like, whoa, we found Jesus. We weren't looking for you, Lord. Yeah, they were looking for Jesus. So they were kind of playing a role. They were acting surprised. When did you get here? And Jesus doesn't pull punches. He immediately calls them out on their attitude and on their heart. Because you see, these people were looking for Jesus. They weren't necessarily looking for the Father or the Son of God. They, they were looking for another meal. Because when we're hungry, we do stupid things, don't we? It says this. When they found him, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you're not looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and then you had your fill. 
Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures. See, these people, these these consumers, these blackbirds, were simply flying to Jesus so they could get theirs, so they could get some food. And in a culture that's starving, that's, that's all they wanted. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about his message. They simply were being selfish, and they wanted to get their fill. Do we know any Christians like that? Do you know anybody like that? They come to church so they can get something? Have maybe we said that before? Is that a right attitude to have? Well, according to Jesus' snappy response, it's not. He says, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do uh, to do the works God requires? So now we've got these little songbirds saying, all right, well, we want to be fed, all right, we, but what do we got to do? To, how do we earn it? Well, don't you realize, silly bird, that the food and the feeder's free? And Jesus' response is fantastic. He gives this very complicated, complex answer. And so I want you to take out a pen and paper, and I want you to take notes on how to accept Jesus. This is a very complex process. Are you ready? Jesus says this, believe in the one he sent. That's it. It's that simple. There's not some kind of mathematic algorithm we've we got to follow. I can't even say the word right. I'm so bad at math. There's not something special we have to earn. You just have to believe in Jesus. Songbird, blackbird, look at the bird feeder. There's food in it. Go eat it. Why would you starve to death sitting on a branch singing a song when there's food to be had? Maybe I'm not talking to the birds. He continues on. So then they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then are you going to show us to prove it? Are you kidding me? They literally say this to Jesus Christ. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that, what, uh, that we may see and believe in you? Did you just not eat 5,000 fish out of two fish? Did you just not see him give this man sight? Didn't Jesus somehow like a ninja miraculously teleport from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other? Did you not see him... Do the things that you said you saw him do, and you want a sign? Here's your sign. If you need evidence, after seeing all that God has done in your life, people, let me ask you this. Do you see the signs of God around you? Because I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of us play this game. We say, God, give us a sign. When the reality is, is God is giving us signs every single day. We're just ignoring them. We're not paying attention to them. They're not the signs that we want. I was having a conversation with a young man right before here and talking about prayer and saying, you know, the old Garth Brooks, you guys have heard me say he's one of the greatest theologians ever because he says sometimes we need to thank God for the prayers that he doesn't answer. doesn't mean he's not answered. Just because he don't answer don't mean he don't care. God cares. And sometimes the answer is no. Or sometimes the answer is something else than what we think. And we need to stop thinking of God as being a cruel God because he doesn't answer my prayer the way I want him to. He's not Santa Claus, as Philip Yancey says. He's not Santa Claus. He's the divine creator that has a beautiful plan for your life. So it continues on by saying this. They wanted a sign, and, they, and, they, and, and again, if you're going to pick a fight with Jesus, 
don't pick a fight that you're setting yourself up to lose. Because the example that the Jews chose to make an example out of was food. When they just ate the day before all that they had eaten, they say this to him, our forefathers ate manna in the desert, basically saying God provided for us when we had nothing. Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, this is not Moses who gives you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They were asking Jesus for a sign of food yet again. And Jesus says, you know what? The food that you want will not fill you. You will be empty and you will be left void. And tomorrow you will be hungry yet again. But God has actually sent you the bread of life and you're too blind to see it. It's right in front of you. You are asking for a sign from the sign. It's like standing at the little kiosk at the mall, looking at the map of the mall saying, I wonder where I'm at. You are here. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses. And he continues on. The people say, sir, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus says these, these just beautiful words, these controversial words. He says, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He's alluding to communion. The bread and the cup. He's alluding to communion, saying when we partake in these beautiful elements in the body of which was broken for us, and when we participate in the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, we will never thirst and we will never be hungry again. It doesn't mean you're not going to want a Big Mac. But it is fulfilling a spiritual hungering and a spiritual thirsting that you cannot fill with anything other than the body of the bread of life and the blood that was poured out on the cross. I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. He's talking about the people. That he would not lose the believers. Lost my place. Do my will, but uh, and this is the will of one who sent me. I shall not lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father will is the is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I am that bread that came down from heaven, and when Jesus gave this answer. They began to grumble, they began to moan, and they began to complain. Because that wasn't the answer that they want. They wanted a temporary solution for their temporary problem. But Jesus was offering them a permanent solution to their permanent problem. And too many times in this life, church, and Christians, we, we get focused on little issues, and we want God to be little solutions. God is big. He's, he's worried about our little things, but he's worried about our big things first. He's worried about taking care of our forever. And he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins 
so that you could forever dwell with him. He is the bread of life. And when we, like the robin, build our home at the source of life, we will never, ever again go hungry. And like the robin who built his nest right in the food, it produced life. There was baby birds. Last year, my kids and I, there was another bird's nest in our yard that we watched, and those birds didn't make it because there was no food. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you as a believer are, are in, at home in the very place of life, you will be fed and you will be filled. If you're sitting out there and you feel empty and you can't figure out why and maybe this whole God thing is new to you and you don't understand anything I'm talking about, but you do know this, you feel empty, you feel alone, you feel abandoned and lost, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not physically hungry, you're spiritual hungry, and then not today, right now, you can, all you have to do, I gave you the recipe, is just believe in Jesus. And it'll be a process where you'll learn how to follow him. And I promise you this, It will bring you life. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table and we're going to partake in something absolutely beautiful that we do as a church together. We're going to celebrate the body of Jesus Christ. This body that was broken for us. Jesus said, if you want to come to the Father, you've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood. Like I said before, he doesn't want us to be zombies but he wants to join with us. He wants us to join with him. He wants us to make our home in him. And so when we come to this table and we eat the bread, we believe that it is, it is the ultimate uh, representation of Jesus' body. We don't believe that it actually turns into the body, but we believe it is the ultimate representation. I love the way that John Rogers puts it in his book uh, called Essential Truths for Christians. He says, when we pray over the communion table, It's this beautiful thing, kind of like when a fire, or you put a piece of iron in a fire. The piece of iron, in fact, does not turn into fire, but it's hot. There's a heat transference. And when we eat the body and we drink the blood, there is a transference of awesomeness that we can't explain. Jesus commanded us to do this in remembrance of him. And so in a couple of moments, we are going to do that. But as we do that, And as you eat the bread, think about the fact that Jesus' body was broken for you. And when you consume that, it is filling a spiritual need in your life and you never again will go hungry. And when you drink the cup, it represents the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of your sins. It's amazing because that blood washes us white as snow. And purifies us. And he says, drink this as often as you can in remembrance that this is the blood of the new covenant. So as you drink from the cup, think about the cost of that blood. That Jesus laid his life down so that we could have it. And as he says in the scriptures, one day we will rise with him and forever dwell with him at the side of the Father. It's good news. Church, which bird are you? Are you a consumer? Are you a legalist? Do you think the way to get to God is through your good deeds? God loves you as much now as he's ever going to or as he ever will. It's so simple. Accept him. Or are you the squirrel 
And you look at God and say, you owe me, pal. God owes us nothing, but he gave us grace and he gave us mercy. And that's good news. Amen? Father, we love you and we thank you. And as we come to this, your table this morning, God, we pray that you would convict our hearts to partake in communion, not as a ritual, not as just some ceremony that we do, but as a moment of community where we are joining ourselves with you in that transference. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that your body was broken for us, the way that you did pour out your blood. And so as we partake in this sacrament, I pray that you would convict our hearts. Maybe there's somebody in this room for the first time right now has decided they, the way they want to follow you. I pray that you would welcome them to this table for the first time this morning, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.